Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. If you've been journeying with us through uh, from the beginning of the year, uh, you've been praying for 40 days, and you'll find this will be our last week of the push to the end of our 40 days of prayer to start the year, refocusing our hearts, our lives, preferably our church, uh, back on the gospel and back in the presence of God. We're not done praying for it. As soon as we're done with the 40 days, we're going to start another 30 days of prayer. Uh, so you can just get ready for that. And I will just give you a heads up. Do not be late next Sunday morning. Okay. You will miss something. All right. Don't be late. All right. What are you not going to be next week? Thank you. I mean, we're starting right on time, and that's if I catch the timer going down, okay? But today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. We're looking at the Great Commission. We can never get enough of this. I believe this is our mission. This is our purpose. This is what Christ has called us to do. He left it for his disciples, and it's still important for us today, and that we are commissioned by the king still to this day. We had an excellent prayer gathering Tuesday night. Um, If you missed it, we will um, have our next one the first Tuesday of March. I would encourage you to be here. We spent uh, about an hour uh, worshiping and praying. If you remember last week, everything the church does, our mission, our purpose is fueled by worship and prayer uh, in the presence of God. And so uh, we are excited. I was excited uh, walking out of there uh, last uh, week or this week of what that uh, looked at and what that looked like for us as a church, and especially excited about what's going forward. Um, When we look at the Great Commission, we understand what Christ has given to us here. We understand that this this is the great high priest. We talked about um, Tuesday night in our prayer time, that uh, in him we have um, the ability to come to the throne of grace with confidence because we have a greater high priest, greater than Moses, Aaron, all the others before And this same great high priest that allows us to go into the presence of God now and that really ushers us in by his blood and by the grace of God, we are able to approach the throne of grace, has also given us a message to go out with, um, to be sent out. And we understand that when we are praying, that is where our fuel comes. uh, And we understand that in that presence of God, we are encountering Jesus himself. And and friends, Jesus is a game changer. Um, He's a life changer. And he keeps our focus um, in the word. He keeps us, our focus going forward. And so when we look at a text like the Great Commission, uh, it makes us, it should require us to pause and look at our own church for a moment and look at Coastal Oaks. What is her mission? What has God called us to do? And for now, what God has called us to do is that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples for the glory of God. So to break that down, to make a disciple means that we're taking a person who is not a disciple or someone who is lost or someone who is not saved and working to see them become a disciple. That involves evangelism, which is why our next 30 days is going to be focusing on that. But simply put, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. It means that you have trusted him in Christ for salvation and that you are actively following him. That is a very basic definition. 
uh, of what a disciple is. It means that we follow Jesus in obedience as the Holy Spirit indwells you and begins the work in you of making you more like Jesus on a daily basis. And an important part of that work is the Great Commission that we go and do as he has commanded. So if you would stand with me one more time, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read verses 16 through 20, and then you can be seated. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Bibles, your word is open before us this morning and your presence is here. I thank you for gracing us with your presence. Thank you for allowing us to come into your presence in Christ. Father, we thank you that we have access to your word, which is true in every single way. Let us never take for granted your word. We praise you for we will never be able to comprehend the depth and width and the height or the length of your great love for your church and your love for the lost. It is a love that you have lavished upon us. And Father, we just pause to think about how magnificent is your name, how marvelous, how wonderful, how hallowed is your name. Father, it is my humble prayer this morning, yet confident prayer that you will speak to your church through your word. Father, let there be less of me and more of thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. This is a statement that is one way or another found in every gospel. In Mark chapter 16, it reads, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to, to the whole creation. In the Gospel of John, it reads, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 46 and following, Jesus says, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then in the book of Acts, the history book of the early church, Verse 8 of chapter 1 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus could not have made this point any clearer than he did. That all four Gospels plus Luke, who wrote one of those Gospels and also wrote the book of Acts, ends and begins his two books with that statement. In all four Gospels plus Acts, friends, this is, these are our marching orders. This is what Jesus left for us to do. And sometimes in church life, when we study uh, growth, health of the church, things like that, uh, churches will slip into a maintenance mode where we're just trying to tread water. And when we slip into maintenance mode, sadly, we lose the sense of our missional call, or rather our missional sending by Jesus. That survival mode is, we're not trying to survive persecution, we're not trying uh, to survive a threat from outside, uh, an outside force, but rather we're just trying to keep our doors open. 
Fortunately, that's not where Coastal Oaks Church is at this point. For we're always supposed to be in missional mode. We're always supposed to be in that missional mindset, not maintenance. Maintenance mode suggests that we are coasting, yet Jesus has called and commanded that we get with it. Paul calls us to run the race that is marked before us, and you can't coast and win the race. You ever seen a video of someone who's coasting? I've seen several pop up on, through social media, different video threads, whatever, and there's some guy running this long race. He's coming to the end, and he, he starts coasting. And little does he know that here comes second place, and second place right at the end of his coasting passes him up and wins the race. We can't coast and win the race. The cause of that coasting and that, the cause of taking it easy can be narrowed down to, to something like this, that too many churches would rather be comfortable and we'd rather associate with people who look like us, think like us, talk like us, rather than engage the lost and see unbelieving people become followers of Jesus, because that's the hard work. That's the work where we have to hit our knees first and begin praying that God would bring the lost to himself. And so really, this work of revitalization, this work of renewal begins with us. He's like, what's happening at at the seminary up in Kentucky, that's not lost people getting saved, that's saved people returning back to the Lord for renewal. How much do we pray for physical healing, yet we, do we pray for spiritual transformation? Do we pray for the presence of God to radically change our life, to help us overcome the obstacles that keep pulling us back in, whatever that obstacle or temptation could be? Friends, this is why we are praying. We are praying for spiritual transformation for the last 35, uh, 34, 35 days and the rest of this week up to day 40, you've been praying for spiritual transformation and for the same thing to happen in our church. And for the next 30 days beyond today, starting next Sunday, we will begin working, praying for those 30 days and beyond for the lost people that are in your life and my life, that they would come to know Jesus, that they would step out of darkness into this marvelous light. Why are we doing that? Because Christ has called us to. And we find that in the Great Commission. Let's look at this together. They gathered, they worshiped, and some doubted. In verse 17, now we see the disciples that are there. They go to Galilee just as Jesus had instructed them uh, through one of the ladies at the tomb. And so there they are at the mountain, went to Galilee. They are gathered with him. They see him, physically see him, and they worshiped him. That could mean something as simple as they bowed down to him because he is the Lord Jesus. He is risen and he's in the physical presence Uh, their physical presence. He's real. And so they bowed down and worshiped him. They gave thanks for him. All of the things that you would do if you saw Jesus, you would bow down and probably start weeping and kissing his feet or not even that. You just beg for forgiveness and, and for more mercy and more grace. And we would just fall at him and worship. But then there's verse 17 at the end where it says some doubted. When we encounter the presence of God, when we encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, we're encountered by his love, his grace, and his mercy. That is the response to worship. That is the response to give praise. It's kind of like that John 4 moment where Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, there's coming a time where the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. It's not going to matter about location or skin type or ethnic belonging or language. Those things won't matter, won't matter anymore because God is seeking true worshipers. True worshipers are first off found in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're not truly worshiping God. For you can't come to the throne of grace without Christ because he is the one that cleanses you and he is the one that makes you whole and wipes that sin and brings in forgiveness and healing and, clean, and holiness. But these guys are there. They are in Christ. They are worshiping in spirit and in truth. Some doubted. Well, we know if Thomas is there, of course, we know the great doubting Thomas, right? He was skeptical all along until he actually physically saw Jesus 
with his eyes and he touched. And then what did he proclaim? He claimed and proclaimed my Lord and my God when he saw Jesus. But doubt here doesn't mean unbelief. It means hesitation. They hesitated. Hesitation. Hesitation and doubt don't mean unbelief. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It's kind of like if you've ever seen a calf looking at a new gate. They just, they're a kid on the first day of school, of kindergarten, and you're like, where do I go? What, what? They're hesitating. They're, they're, they're not, not necessarily confused, but hesitating due to this decision that has to be made, this fork in the road, if you will. Not sure which way to go. Uncertain. There is certainly a bit of hesitation in most people when it comes to the intense and deep things of God. We tend to pull back and not go all in. Yet it is God's grace and God's mercy that allow us into his very presence. We also hesitate when we hear the Great Commission. And in real time, when we're confronted with the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, we freeze up. We hesitate. See, we can't point the fingers at these disciples and say, man, these guys had it all. They had Jesus in their presence, and, and they doubted? How could they doubt when they're looking right at him? I think we've all, many of us have been there at least. And we must understand that these disciples are hesitant. We understand that. It's not no faith at all, but they have some reservations. Hey, these guys were growing just as I hope you're growing. They're growing in their trust. They're growing in their faith, growing in their understanding. They didn't have it all together. They hadn't reached full maturity yet, and they'd spent three years with Jesus. Lost him for three days, got him back, and now he's about to go away again. They're trying to figure all this out. They had, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet to connect all the dots, but when the Holy Spirit came, they understood this is very similar to when Peter stepped out of the boat back in Matthew chapter 14. You remember that story? He sees Jesus on the water. He calls out to Jesus. Jesus calls him out of the boat. And he looks at Peter when Peter began to sink. And he said, why did you doubt? I don't think it's that Jesus doubt, uh, Peter doubted Jesus' power more than he was hesitant. He was uncertain. And that led him to doubt what was happening in that moment. But Jesus quickly puts aside that doubt and he squelches it because he begins to talk about his authority. Look at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is about to make a claim to their life. He's about to lay out a claim and a command. All right. And the authority of Jesus gives him or gave him the right to make this claim. And the authority of Christ makes this claim still important and vital for the church today. Let's look at that hesitation. Let's think about why Jesus gave this command. It is his authority to do so. This is a claim that only Jesus can make. And we look at it again in verse 13. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Friends, if you're going to call Jesus Christ Lord and you're going to lay claim to that, then you must believe in the authority of Christ. He is king. He's not one of many kings. He is king over your life. That's what it is to be Lord. He is your boss. And you don't just to go you don't just go quit that boss when you don't like him. You stick with him because he's the best boss you'll ever have. He is the creator of it all. And here is Jesus claiming, "I am the authority. If you reject his authority, then he cannot be lord of your life. 
He will not be Lord of your life. There is a record in the Gospels of people hearing Jesus teaching early on in his ministry, and their response went something like this. He teaches as one with authority. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus taught the two guys that that were there on their way to leaving Jerusalem, and they didn't realize it was Jesus after the resurrection, but he began teaching them from the Old Testament. And, And of all that he was saying, all this stuff, guys, all this stuff is about me. He's the one with the authority. And Daniel chapter 7, it was foretold that the Christ would be the one who was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. That's Daniel seven fourteen. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now, these current disciples in Matthew had seen him command the wind and the waves. Think about all that they had experienced. They'd seen him heal diseases with no known cures. They had seen him give sight to the blind. They had seen the lame get up and walk. They even witnessed Lazarus come back to life out of the grave. Yet in this moment of hesitation, one more time, Jesus looks at them and says, and says look guys, in case you haven't figured it out yet, all authority has been granted to me, given to me in heaven and on earth everything. He has the authority over nature, over nations, diseases, demons, sin, death, our lives, every life. He has power and authority over. Well, who gave it to him? Well, the Bible tells us the Father gave it to him. And now here in chapter 28, we have the way, the truth, and the life. Who could also say he was the way, the truth, and life because he had that authority is declaring that he has that authority. So what does that do for hesitation and doubt? Hesitation and doubt are now overcome by his certain authority and power. When you trust that he is Lord of your life, that he is Lord of all, that he has that authority, any hesitation and doubt should scurry on its way. Only Jesus could make this claim. And this is why he began with this claim, all authority has been given to me and not with the command first. What he's about to say next is all based on his authority. There is no doubt of his ruling authority. He has the right to make this command, to give this command, to tell it, and for it to be recorded for us in all four Gospels, that we would hear it today in the year 2023 as the church, and we would continue carrying out that great commission. When you think about the authority of Christ, I'm, I'm reminded of a song that came out back in the mid-90s, In Christ Alone. No guilt in life is one of the verses, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. And Christ is where we stand. The disciples now understand that and it will be cemented when the Spirit comes as recorded in the book of Acts. Friends, this is why we seek him and why we pray over the next 30 days, praying for the power of Christ to transform lives and change lives of the people around us. As Jesus stepped up that day and began to speak, he wasn't kidding around. He wasn't making jokes. He was saying what is true. And he makes that statement that only he could make as Jesus commands what only he could command. Jesus commands what only he could command. 
As he claimed his proper authority, he said to them, all authority again in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. I just don't know what the purpose of God is for my life, Pastor. Well, read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, and you'll figure it out. In verse 19, you'll see, therefore, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. There's a therefore. What do we ask when we see a therefore in Scripture? What's it there for? Write that down. I didn't make that up. Somebody told me, somebody told him, and we'll just pass it on through the generations. You always pause and say, what's it there for? Because it's a change. Something's happening, right? We're about to make an application point. All authority has been given to Christ Jesus, and in heaven and on earth, as you go, therefore, as you go, make disciples. You go and tell the whole world about Jesus. You go and tell the whole world that God will forgive and reconcile sinners to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the good news. Though we are far from God, Jesus Christ will bring us near through his blood. That we are cracked up, messed up, fed up, but the good news is that our rejection of God, our sin, our rebellion against God has been paid for by the blood of Christ. And that he is patiently pursuing the lost, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all would be saved in Christ. Friends, God loves saving people. Yes, he hates sin. Absolutely. It cannot be in the presence of his holiness. But he loves saving people. He loves when his marvelous light shines into darkness and a new believer, a new child of God steps into that marvelous light. And starts in and joins the race. What gives us the right to interfere in cultures where they have their own system of religion? What right, what what gives us the right to claim the exclusivity of the gospel and say that Jesus is the only way? The one who sent us. All authority has been given to the one who sent us. It's not my authority, it's not your authority. I don't claim that authority for myself, it's his authority. He sent us. He sent his disciples, and he still sends the church. We are called. We are sent. The one whom we are proclaiming is the one with the authority. It is his to claim and his to command and his to give. So as we go, we make disciples. His mission is going to succeed because his power and authority have guaranteed it. A disciple is simply someone who follows Jesus The very basic definition, we aren't called to convert people to our way of life. We aren't called to save them to the American dream. If anything, we are called to reach them for a kingdom dream. And if anything, they need Jesus to save them from the American dream because that isn't the gospel. He calls us to go and share Jesus with them. Friends, we have to obey the command of Christ. It's not that we're going to all be Billy Grahams. I think God gives us some that ability and that open door to reach Millions upon millions and others, you may just reach one, but that one could be the next Billy. Then that one could be the next Greg Lowry. That one could be the next one who's at seminary someday and where God's spirit overflows and brings renewal and revival. I mean, it could happen anywhere. So we were called to obey the command of Christ. It's not, it's not a comfortable call. But it is a call to come, to be baptized, and to teach, to learn. It's not a call to come and sit and be comfortable. 
One location for the rest of our lives. See, we would do our very best here to keep you out of one location because if you pick the wrong location, you're going to freeze to death. And if you pick the wrong location on the other side, you're going to sweat to death. So there's a happy medium and you got to figure it out on your own. But when we get into maintenance life, it's that we're just coming and sitting and being comfortable. That's what happens. But hear the call of Jesus again. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Peace be with you. That's a lovely thought. Yes, I'll take a little bit more of that on my church salad today. I would love to have a little bit of peace of the peace of God with me. Wait a minute. What's the next part? Oh, no, I don't like that flavor. The next part is, even so I send you. No, I don't, I don't want any of that. I'll just take all of the peace on my church salad today. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. No, I told you I didn't, I didn't want any of that. We get squirmy in our seats when we start hearing that. Why? Because we think God's going to send us to the continent of Africa or China or somewhere hard or Europe. God's going to send us away far from home. Hey, I've been there. It's tough. It's tough. Some of you have been there too. You know how hard it is. We get squirmy. Squirminess is a good thing, friends, because that tells me it's the right thing. It's the God thing. That means that squirminess is saying, oh, I can't do that. You're absolutely right. You can't. It makes us uncomfortable when it comes to the Lord. And that which is from the Lord often will cause us to get squirmy in our seats and uncomfortable because it means we're going to have to depend on his power and his presence to make it happen. Suddenly we're not in control anymore. That's when you know you're living with Jesus as Lord of your life. And now he says, make disciples, baptize them and teach them. Baptism, what is it? We've seen it by God's grace the last couple of weeks here in our church. I would love to see that happen more. By the way, I think we should be pulling in at least double what we've had so far. And since my time has been here, we, we need more of this. But baptism is a public declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. You can't be a secret disciple. If you're going to be a secret disciple, your secrecy will destroy your discipleship. Or your discipleship will destroy your secrecy. That thought is not original to me. That changed my mind a lot this week and weighed heavy on my heart as I read that. I share that with you. Baptism, friends, is a public declaration of your faith in Jesus. For all intents and purposes, it is, that it is the public profession of faith. It is what is laid out in Scripture to get into the waters of baptism, whether it's here or at the beach or somewhere else, and to publicly declare for all to see that person. What, why are they going in the water and coming out? And why is the pastor or, or, or the one doing the baptizing saying the things they're saying? Because it is a public declaration of what's already happened on the inside. You can say, I trust in Jesus, but when you follow through in obedience, which is baptism by immersion, when you follow through in obedience, that's telling the world you trust in Jesus. Obedience shows our trust. That's why we're called to baptize. And then he says, teach them. What are we teaching? We aren't teaching them. We aren't sharing with them what has happened inside of us. They can rebut that with what has happened inside of them. What we are teaching is that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to us. 
fully God, fully man, died in the place of sin, rose to the, back to life on the third day from the cross, out of the tomb, and now he comes to live and reign in the hearts and lives of those who will trust him. We share the gospel. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Don't tell me the story of Chris. Tell me the story of Jesus. Friend, the call, the call of the church. We have lots of good things happening at Coastal Oaks Church. Yeah, we're in transition again. God is walking us through that. But this is what we're supposed to be about. We serve one priority. We don't serve our preferences. We serve it's, it's his priority to see men and women, students, boys and girls being saved, seeing them baptized, identifying themselves with Jesus to the praise of God the Father and his glory, growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus as they join in that discipleship pathway to become more like him. You remember that peace that Jesus gave? Look at the end of verse 20. As we're baptizing, teaching, doing those things, I love this last part, just as a reminder, you're not going alone. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. By the way, you're not alone. Jesus gave what only he could give, which was his presence. His presence. The Gospel of Matthew begins with this truth, that Emmanuel, God with us, is coming. And he comes, and he spends his life on earth. Three, three years of ministry, died on the cross, back to life, still God with us, about to ascend back into the heavenlies with the Father until he, was, he is to return, and yet here is this presence again, this promise, I am with you always. And today still he is God with us. There will be a new age to come when Christ returns, but rest assured, he is with us now until he returns. It is our going, it is in that going, and in that disciple making, and in that sharing of the gospel that we will experience his power and his presence. In our gatherings also, don't mean to minimize our gatherings, whether it's the prayer gathering or our worship gathering, certainly, his presence is here, but we will experience him on a different level, a deeper level, as we're going and walking in obedience. So we gather here, we proclaim the gospel here, but we must also go out those doors this morning, or these doors to my left, and we go out. And as we go out, we're going into our mission field, and Christ is still with us. He doesn't stay inside this room, right? He goes with us. So church, I want to encourage you this morning. That the mission is not based on who we are or what we can do because it's not our power. It's his power. And the mission is based on who Jesus is and what he is able to do in and through our lives and his church. So in the next 30 days, I've talked about it. Who's your one? You're going to have, starting next Sunday, hopefully we get it all put together in the back of the sanctuary here, uh, straight down the center aisle into the back wall, there's going to be a, a, a display set up and I'm going to ask you next Sunday to bring a name. You're going to receive a little card. And on that card, it's a commitment to pray for that person over the next 30 days. 
You're gonna receive a little prayer booklet that's gonna guide you through the scriptures and through the prayer time, leading you to pray for that person each and every day, leading you to pray for a divine encounter that God would establish a moment for you to go share the gospel. Okay, the sermons are gonna revolve around sharing the gospel and what that looks like and how to, but you're gonna have that opportunity. And it's, at the end of 30 days, if it doesn't happen, it's gonna stay up. It's gonna stay up until we see. Now, we got a really cool way to display as things happen, as people go from being prayed for to being saved. We got some really cool things set up for you to be able to see the life changes that are happening. I can't share that with you now, but it's gonna be cool, and I really believe God's gonna do a major work in our church as we pray for that and we get into his presence and as we go. So I wanna encourage you to do that. For now, watch this one-minute video that's gonna help introduce the concept of the great, uh, uh, of who's your one. There have been protests. Sometimes it's hard to even remember what the world was like before now. And yet the gospel is still good news. And heaven still rejoices over the number one. To make Jesus known, we each have to start with one lost person. Think about it. If I were to ask you who's your one, would you have an answer? I know it's hard. Your one might be someone hiding in plain sight. And sometimes, let me tell you about Jesus, just doesn't feel like the most natural way to have a conversation. But we're in this together. Tens of thousands of believers have found their one, and you can learn from them. Listen, everyone is talking about how the world has changed, but one person sharing Christ with one other person, that is real change. And it comes when you answer the question, who's your one? Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.